Welcome to Growth Mindset University. My name is Jordan Paris, 21-year-old author and host of this show. And with this show, you and I will embark on a journey to learn the things that we should have learned in school but did not, so that we may take control of our lives while fulfilling our visions of success. Each episode will feature a brand new lesson, and now it's time for today's lesson. So put your thinking cap on because school is now in session. Before we get into it today, make sure that you are subscribed to the show, Growth Mindset University, wherever you are listening to this podcast. Everything we do here is to help you, to help you learn so that you can do all that you were created to do, so that you can maximize your potential and who you are. As cliche as that sounds, we have interviews with New York Times bestselling authors and really just the most successful people in the world every single week, two times a week, we have those interviews. So we don't want you to miss it. Make sure you go do that. And now without further ado, please enjoy the show. My guest today is Josh Perry. Josh is a former pro BMX athlete, holistic brain health coach, keto consultant, and multiple brain tumor survivor. Josh focuses on the power of his story to inspire others to foster new perspectives and take new action in their lives, providing tools for mental strength, health, manifestation, business, and nutrition. Josh's story illustrates how challenges come in every shape and size but emphasizes that happy and successful people use the same mental tools to get them there, regardless of their past or current tribulations. Josh Perry, welcome to the podcast. Appreciate you having me on. So before we get into it today, I want to make sure people can find you, the listeners can find you if they hear something and they get curious. JoshPerryBMX.com is your website. And then at JoshPerryBMX is your Instagram, correct? Um, every social media that's out there that I'm on, Josh Perry BMX. Perfect. So Josh, I, I gotta know, I'm watching you do these, all these tricks on the bike on, you know, all these BMX tricks and it's pretty insane. I, how did you get so good at doing that? Uh, just like anything else, it's lots of practice, lots of falling and getting up, trying again, and just reverse engineering the path to success and just. I think the the biggest piece is that desire to to win or to succeed at what I was doing is what's kept me going and allowed me to progress. Otherwise, if I wasn't having fun and I didn't have that desire, I probably would have given up day one. What attracted you to BMX instead of like, you know, football or baseball or something like that? I mean, I, I grew up playing like ever since little um, T-ball and like got into Little League and then started playing basketball middle school and high school. Actually, started fourth grade at playing basketball. So I was, I was already familiar with sports. My dad plays every sport possible, whether it's flag football. I was bowling at a young age as well, like just um, like everything. And then got into rollerblading and skateboarding around 11 or 12, but had been on a bike since about four years old when the training wheels came off. I remember just cruising through the neighborhood. So getting to the skate parks and like being exposed to that and then seeing that bikes could go on the same ramps and then seeing X Games. And then I was just like, oh, wow, like that looks cooler. I'm already riding a bike 
to my friend's house and around the neighborhood and you can ride in, in the woods, you can ride whatever surface you want. You don't have to worry about little rocks hitting your rollerblade or skateboard wheels and going flying. And so it's like, I, I saw it for the first time and I was like, man, like I want to do that. And I already had a bike. So started messing around and then get like a actual BMX bike later on. Well, somewhere along the way, it gets serious. When did you realize you could go pro? So just like any other sport, competition is natural. Just, I mean, any aspect of life, like you want to get better, you want to progress, you want to, you know, challenge yourself. And so I just started entering, you know, beginner contests when I was like 13 or so. When I first started riding BMX, like legit and just going from there, just, you know, going through the stages and amateur and then working my way up and then, uh, won a couple amateur contests in the region of the Northeast. And then the next year, um, I had to ride pro because I won some of those bigger amateur contests. And so it's just pushed to that progression. I was excited. You know, I was about 17, my first pro contest oh. and, uh, really? yeah, I just kept going from there. So you finish high school, but you're, you're, you're pro, like you're a pro BMX athlete. You must have been the coolest kid in school. Well, I actually dropped out. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I technically got expelled my senior year cause I missed the first two months of school cause I was, just doing my thing traveling and I'd been working since sophomore year because I went to a technical high school. So I got to the point mid sophomore year where if my, I think you had to have a B or higher, you could go in the co-op program to work two weeks, academics two weeks. So I did that because in my mind, less school, make more money and then travel more to compete and go on road trips. And then the summer came and that's when our you know biggest season for comp competitions are. And my boss gave an ultimatum to pick between work and BMX. And I was like, all right, that's no brainer. So I just was gone all summer. And then, uh, my mom got a letter in the mail saying I missed too many days and I was welcome back the following year. But, uh, so when I went back home to visit, she actually signed me out of school. And then I kind of indirectly moved to North Carolina where I already was hanging out to train with all the pros and just, yeah, I kept going from there. Isn't there a considerable risk? I mean, we talk about, Oh, I, I often talk with people who, you know, didn't go to college or didn't graduate college, but dropping out of high school did, did you get ged yeah four years later <laughs> oh okay gotcha that took but me six like, months because of contests like i decided to do it when the like the travel season was coming up so i had to re keep reschedule uh tests and things like that well if bmx did not work out like was that a was that a thought like like what if this whole bmx thing doesn't work out what am i gonna do yeah it, i mean it was always there but i was so singular minded back then i mean i was 17 years old so i was just like man i have an opportunity to ride with dave mira and the other top professionals in the world and travel the world competing doing what i love but what if it doesn't work out and in my mind i'd already been getting i was already working making really good money landscaping on cape cod and the the friend of the family who i was working for he trained all his guys you know over the course of a couple of years to go on and start their own business so I already ha had that entrepreneurial mindset going and I loved landscaping. I just love being outside. Like my, my perspective of taking something and changing it to something new and better from where it was like improving it. I just loved working my hands and just being active. And, you know, so I was driving my own 16 foot trailer with the mowers and doing my own thing on my own for my boss. And so I always had in the back of my head, well, I can always go to school later on if I want, but my plan was just to finish high school and start my own landscaping business when I learned more and got, you know, uh, to that point, or I could just work. And in my mind, I was so set on just working a minimum wage job. if like worst case scenario, I'm just paying the bills and go from there. And then throughout the course of my journey and learning from, you know, people like Dave Mira and like this financial mindset and then getting into my own, you know, personal growth and development journey through all the, you know, different things I've gone through the injuries and disease and, you know, things like that. 
I started opening my mind, the possibilities of more for my life rather than what I was settling for based on my subconscious conditioning, if you will. Um, but yeah, it was always like in my mind, like what if this doesn't work out? But then the majority of the time I was like, well, no, I'm like, let's just, let's just do this. It's working now. So let's just enjoy it and have fun. Like I said, I was a kid, you know, so I was just doing my thing and not really worried about it. Well, it does end up uh, working out pretty well for you and BMX until, I mean, how many years in are you when you discover the brain tumor? So I had just turned 21 in November of 2000. So my age. Yeah. It's like if I woke up, you know, today and uh, I'm like, oh, I got a brain tumor. Yeah. So it's, I can can only imagine. Yeah. It was uh, March 2010. So I was, you know, just turned 21 a couple months prior. Um, my first year riding X Games, traveling internationally the year prior, winning my first contests, um, acquiring sponsors, you know, doing like literally living my dream and some. Um, but then a couple months into 2010 is when a, uh, a crash where I hit my head, got knocked out, had to get a MRI revealed on accident, this brain tumor. And that was after a year of, you know, suffering through migraines, vomiting, losing my vision on and off and asking for a scan. And literally every time they'd say, you know, I went the same, I didn't have a primary at the time. So I went to this, I still don't, uh, people that say I'm crazy, but I, uh, mm-hmm. we'll talk about that later, but mm-hmm. what are the same urgent care in my neighborhood? every time. And they kept saying, no, you don't need a scan. Like I was asking for x-rays, CAT scans, MRI, something to look at my brain. Like, no, you don't need it. You're in shape, professional athlete. You're young. You just have headaches. It's normal in this country. Here's some pain pills. Come back if you need more. Like that was the routine every time. And I never took them. My body doesn't settle well with them. So when I was younger, I, um, I had experienced throwing up, which I always attributed to the aspirin I took, but it was actually the flu I had, but I always had that mindset. I was like, no, I'm not going to take these. I don't want to throw up. You know, uh, the last time I went in just before the end of 2009, I actually took the the Percocets they gave me and I projectile vomited in the car on the way home. Thankfully I wasn't driving. That was a traumatic experience. Like seeing all this blood come out on the side of the road, but they're telling me I'm fine. And I literally think I'm dying, but, uh, yeah. So fast forward to March, you know, trying this new trick outside of the foam pit, which for those that don't know, foam pits just, we stole it from gymnastics, built a ramp into a box full of foam blocks, safely try tricks. And I was trying on the real ramp and I over-rotated the trick, fell on my side, hit my head. And now I had to get MRI. And luckily I did because if I didn't hit my head, I'd be dead today because they found an eight centimeter long by four wide, four deep tumor pushing into my brain from the meninges layer of my skull which summed up all the suffering I'd been going through for the year, year and a half. And we don't know how long I'd been in there based on the size of it, but Mm. I'm super grateful for that crash because it found out, you know, what was going on. And my surgeon said I had another month or two to live based on the size of it and what I was experiencing. I mean, this is probably just theory, but how much longer did the clock say before, like if you didn't discover that or if the crash didn't happen? So yeah, like Dr. Friedman said about another month or two, he estimated. um, So you would have died in a month or two? Yeah, he said, you know, it would have just taken over. Like, everything would have started. Like, I was already losing it. At that point, I couldn't ride anymore because it was just getting to the point where I couldn't see my own hand in front of my face without seeing, like, 20 of them. And then, like, you know when you wake up some mornings and, like, your eyes are kind of, like, foggy is a way to put it and you rub your eyes and then, like, whatever. And then it's like, oh, it's clear now. That was all day for, like, days at a time. But I went to the eye doctor. They're like, no, your vision's fine. I'm like, well, clearly it's not because I can't see. And no one ever thought to check, like scan my brain for a brain tumor. Like, I mean, typically you don't, it's not like that common. And, um, but now I'm learning that more and more people are finding tumors just by regular MRIs for something else. And they're like, Oh shit. Like I didn't know I had a brain tumor. It's like, yeah, it's pretty, it, it's becoming more common 
I, I guess it's like, it's not, but it's like, once you become aware of this thing, just like anything else, your subconscious is like, Oh, like we're finding more, yeah. more examples. But yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, they can say estimated like month, two months, but um, it probably would have been, you know, maybe a couple months before going through more and more suffering to where I wouldn't have woken up one day, just because when they got in through the surgery, it had wrapped itself around the artery and my optic nerve, which that was showing why I was having so many vision problems and pain problems. But then the artery, you know, it, it was just a matter of time before it just, you know, may have bursted it or just shut it off or, or something. So what was the uh, plan of action, the treatment? So the doctor that diagnosed me, he was like, yeah, we don't know if it's cancer or benign at this time. You'll probably never ride your bike again. But if you want a shot at living, you have to have surgery immediately. So Dr. Friedman at Duke University, thankfully, it was just an hour and a half uh, east of him. He uh, he was like, yeah, no, no worries. We'll get it out. And he actually changed his schedule around to get me in about a week and a half, two weeks after the diagnosis because it was that severe, which I thought was really profound. Like it was that bad. He moved other patients out of the way to get me in sooner. Um, so it was like a two-week transition from diagnosis to surgery. And it was supposed to be four hours, four and a half hours, took six because of the optic nerve and artery complication they had. And uh, they couldn't risk hitting either of them because I could have a stroke, could bleed out, become paralyzed, you know, the list goes on or just die right then and there. So they had to take their time um, even more so than actual brain surgery. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty surreal. It happened pretty quick and then woke up 75 staples, 16 stitches and went home two days later, back on my bike in five weeks. It was pretty insane. What's your frame of mind? I mean, I was just thinking about this, how last night, how I would be. And I, again, I can only imagine what's your frame of mind, like minutes before knowing that they're about to split your head open and just go play around inside of there and remove stuff. And like, I, I, I think I'd, I think I'd be freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> anxiety. Yeah, no, I definitely was, but it got to a point where like midway through that two week process, uh, three things stood out that helped me transition from fear to like, this is just what I have to do. Like any other injury that I've had and still, you know, through multiple diagnosis later to today and other injuries, it's like, how long can I get back on my bike? Like, what do I got to do? Like, there's no other option, like giving up or giving into fear doesn't make sense to me. That's been my mindset that I'm thankful for as any athlete would understand or anyone that is conscious of business or sport, like any music, like any talent that is not just a common, you know, day-to-day thing. Like you have to work for it, but it's the mindset that allows that. So like, I just treated everything like an injury, like, all right, well, what do I have to do? How long can I get back? And it start out that way. But like I said, about a week or so I started transitioning and the three things that helped that were the BMX community, I made a name for myself worldwide at this point. So everyone reached out, like, let me know that they were thinking about me. They, I had their support. I'd be fine, you know. Uh, but then my mom's surgery or uh, story battling colon cancer for years and being, you know, alive and well today. And then learning about Lance Armstrong's story, you know, and like what he went through. And this was another bike ride, a little different, but same thing to me. And he came back no matter what people's opinion of him were. Like what he did, you don't, you have no idea how that experience is unless you go through it. And in my mind, he went through brain, lung, and testicular cancer. I'm just going through possibly brain cancer or brain benign brain tumor. I don't know yet um, at the point, but I was like, man, this dude had three times worse what I'm going through. And he came back to do like to do what he did at that level, whether he won or lost, like isn't it's insane. And like just understanding my journey to get back to like what I was doing. Um, so those three things really helped me. And then you know it just became like all right, like rather than like, what if I don't wake up? Like, well, what if I do? I just kept focusing on what if I do wake up? What do I want my life to be like? I'm not done living my dream. I'm like just fresh into, you know, 
like I don't, it wasn't my rookie year, but it felt that way just because it was like my first contest win, first time traveling out of America or off the continent to be, uh, to begin with, like, uh, TV, like all these things coming together. And I was like, it just like, people actually knew my name. So I was like, this is kind of like my rookie year. I'm not, I'm not done. Like, I'm not going to give up. And then I had these three influences helping me further, uh, solidify that belief. And so I just kept focusing on like, what if I wake up, what am I going to do? And then now reading Lance Armstrong's books, he was talking about that like you have this whole new motivation to live. And we, we say we're going to do this. We're going to be 100% every day. And like that kind of fizzles out. You get back to the norm. But like that mindset stick, sticks with you. And that's what I love sharing. It's really about like people like freak out. Well, what if I lose my job? What if I can't pay my bills? Like, and I mean, you, you know this. Like if you focus on those things, that's what you're going to attract. And, but if you focus on what if you were to make you know an extra $1,000 a month, what would that feel like? What would that look like? what would it take to make that happen? So I just shifted it from fear to fuel to live my life the way I wanted and to not let anything, you know, stop that. I've always been stubborn. So I just brought that in there in a positive way rather than, you know, uh, not listening to my parents or something. Well, Josh, you did. Obviously we're talking today, you woke up and so you're 21 years old and what's the plan from there? Uh, the plan from there was just get back to competing, get back to traveling, uh, doing my thing. You know, I didn't really think that I didn't really have like a, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Like, I just was like, I just want to continue doing what I'm doing, but do it better. And I did that. I did that for about two years. And then, you know, along the way, got introduced to like holistic health and nutrition and the direct cause and correlation of their lifestyle choices and then how we live our lives and overall well-being and start making a bunch of changes and, you know, feeling better, but still partying and drinking and things like that. Not really cutting out a lot of the junk, just more so adding in things. I didn't really understand what I was learning. So I thought, oh, if I just add these things in, that'll be, that'll offset it. You know, it's like a half therapy. So then two years later, uh, routine MRI in about in, uh, beginning of November, I believe it was showed two new masses had grown back on the same side of the brain, one in the front, one in the rear. But Dr. Friedman mentioned that it was due to the complications of the artery and the optic nerve. And it was not to worry about, I was in India when I found out the news doing demos and I was like, do I, do I need to come back? I got two more days left. He's like, no, come back when you're, you know, you're supposed to, and we'll, we'll sort it out, but there's no immediate risk right now, but we'll have to talk about options. It's looking like radiation is going to be the way to go. Cause they're so small, you know, about a blueberry size each, like cutting you open again, it's going to have that same risk. Um, but more because we're not gonna be able to get all the cells. So, I didn't like radiation again, my stubbornness. I was like, there's gotta be another way. You know, I watched my mom go through that for a while and it's just terrible. And, um, I found gamma knife radio surgery, which despite the name has no surgery. It's in non-invasive outpatient. They basically use a computer and radio wave beams to target where they're going to treat the area. And the success rates were above 93, 95% at the time. And I was like, man, this, this seems sweet. People get back to work the next day. And so I decided to go up near my family, Massachusetts at uh, Tufts Medical Center in Boston had the procedure done. They basically zapped the two tumors. It was about, I was back on my bike in like six days, seven days. They just wanted me to like make sure I didn't have any side effects, which I didn't. Um, but for four years, those two tumors shrunk and they've been stable ever since like the last three, two or three years now. So they've just been um, kind of, like I say, just chilling, just doing their thing, just hanging out. And um, it's funny, two things. When everyone, everyone comes to me about tumors especially they're like oh my tumor and i'm like first of all we gotta change your language it's not my it's the unless you want that to be a part of you like have you read thinking grow rich oh of course it's uh, yeah. i've got several copies there's one there there's one there there's yeah so <laughs> and audio too. i got yeah. what's that auto suggestion yes yeah and subconscious beliefs and programming like dr joe dispenza like he's real big on that too like 
I'm like, no, like you got to change your language because it's super powerful. Even though you don't think you're giving energy to it, you are. So first things first is it's not my, it's the anything. My anxiety is huge. It's like, no, like that just solidifies it. So that's, that's one thing. And then someone asked me like, did you ever name them? And I was like, that no one's ever asked me that. That's a great question, but no, because of the versus my uh, language is super powerful. So I just, I'll always love to share that. Cause it's like, it's undesirable. Like, why would you want to give it power over you or a part of you? It doesn't make sense. So that's just um, something I love sharing, but yeah, they, they shrunk them for about four years and they've been chilling ever since. So what is this gamma knife radio surgery? Is that what it's called? Yeah. So it's radio surgery, radio treatment, radiotherapy, but it's just gamma how, knife. So it's like, how'd you find that? Uh, uh, I went to Google. Yeah. That's what I thought. You just, you're just <laughs> desperate to not do radiation. Yeah. And then I asked Dr. Friedman about it and I, I learned that Duke doesn't have a gamma knife machine there. It's like different ho- hospitals have different technologies and he was like, yeah, that's a great technology for sure. Yeah. I, I, I'd approve of that. And I was like, well, why didn't you tell me of it? And that now I know because Duke doesn't offer one. So it's like, it makes sense. Um, especially cause I went to Boston to a different medical center, but, um, yeah, I just Google, I was like, man, it's gotta be a better way. So I started looking up alternative radiation therapies like that. This was seven years ago. So I'm not really sure what I was Googling. I just, I remember radiation alternative and it popped up and I just got really attracted to it, learned a lot about it. I was like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I want to, I want to quick highlight a subtle note here that just because you, I mean, you dropped out of high school, you got a GED, didn't, don't have a college degree. Like doesn't mean you didn't go to, you, you didn't necessarily go to formal education, but you, it doesn't mean you're not a learner right? Like you, it seems like you love learning. Is that right? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that's what Joe Rogan did a piece uh, a while ago, like one of his cuts from his podcast that helped me a lot about 2012, 2013, about um, um, the society trap. And it's like, I see this with my friends all the time. It's like, yeah, like you go to college, you get in debt, you get married, you get a house, you get a car payment, you have kids, and then you're miserable. (laughs) It's like, Some people love it. Some people are happy. They're successful at it, but some people do it because that's what they think they're supposed to because society says it or their parents are like, this is the way to do it. And it's, it's just not. And unless you want it to be. And so like, I become a big believer. It's like, you don't have, like, I've learned more in one, like, are you familiar with Kerwin Ray? I'm not. So um, he's like, uh, people refer to him as like, and this is doing him a disjustice, but the Australian version of Gary V and they happen to be friends too. But um, I just went to his three day event out in Sydney a month or two ago. I learned more about business in those three days and they say it too. He had um, his, his financial advisor teacher um, used to work for Jordan Belfort, like, like, like people like that. And they say like, you're going to learn more here in this weekend than you will in a four year degree on business. It just doesn't make sense. But all the things like, whether it's a ketogenic diet, it's uh, personal growth and development, it's the subconscious and the brain health, it's, you know, finding Like I've learned so much on my own by searching for it and then finding people than I would have if I'd gone down the traditional school route. And not to knock that, you know, like my girlfriend's an athletic trainer. She had to get licensed through, you know, a credited college degree and all that stuff. But she learns more about other things she's passionate about that schools don't even provide because a lot of them go against standard of care and the funding aspect that's there. And I've learned so much about that and like why I got run through the system the way I did. And just, we have a pain pill problem in this country, but here's some pain pills. It's like, cause healthy food doesn't make money to this system 
Well, this is what we this is what Naveen and Jane and I talked about very recently that there's no profit in good health yeah. and that the pharmaceutical companies, I mean first of all the doctors, there's 4 4% of all doctors have received any education in nutrition. My father's a general surgeon, my mother's a nurse, I have two uncles that are doctors as well. Uh, like I like I I understand this this industry. And uh, so we're kind of taught to prescribe these uh, pills and treat like the symptoms rather than the root cause. I mean, it's not, it's not their fault. Most of them don't know any better. Yeah. And for sure. there's a lot of kickbacks. And so the pharmaceutical companies see you as a subscriber, like their job is not to, is to keep you on the medication. Right. And these, these medications cause symptoms and they're, these symptoms are treated with more medication and all of a sudden you're popping mil more pills and blueberries and spinach. And it's like, uh Oh, that's a problem. And they're making a lot of money and you're getting, you're sick and suffering. So, and, and then also too, with the uh, default path that, you know, we're, we're so on the same wavelength here, Josh, in my experience, the, the way I see it is you just think for yourself. Like don't, don't do something just because you think you're supposed to, or you think you should. I don't like that word should yeah. think for yourself. Like what, what do I want here? Okay. If you want to be an entrepreneur, I, I don't really see school for you. I, I just don't. If you want to get a job, right. Working maybe in an office, a stable, secure job uh, where you don't have to worry about as much where you, you know, as an entrepreneur has to worry about, then, yeah, I totally see school in your future, and I think that you should go. You kind of need it to get that job. Yeah. So I think there are things to think about here. It's on a case-by-case -case basis. Oh, yeah. Context is everything. Your tumors, though, they, they – okay, so they come back, right? And then – and so they're shrinking. Mm -hmm. Did they come back? Did they ever come back a third time or, or no? Those two didn't, but I should give some context before the third diagnosis. So – Gamma knife was 2012, November. Two, those two tumors that came back from the original tumor, they shrunk. They're, they're just chilling now. Next year, I read a book called Grain Brain by Dr. David Perlmutter. Got oh, it's right here. Yeah. Yep. Got it. <laughs> That's awesome. I got introduced to ketogenic diet then. Uh, didn't really understand the whole testing your blood, macronutrient breakdown of it. And to be fair, I don't know if he put that in there. I got to check it out again. Um, but I got this this huge understanding of cutting out grains, alcohol, processed foods, high fat, low carb. And I adopted that. Now I only say I've been ketogenic for a little over two years. Cause that's actually when I was testing my blood, I never did the urine strips. Thankfully I never got mixed up with all that confusion, which is a huge misconnection or misinformation with people that don't understand the transition of that. But I went straight to blood. And so I probably, the way I was training and riding and eating, and fasting, I probably was in and out of you know ketosis back then, but I only say I know for sure because I was testing my blood for that last two years, but that introduced me to the ketogenic diet. And so all the holistic health and nutrition pieces I was learning up to that point for three years made so much sense when he said, you know, we talked about the correlation and the direct cause of chronic high levels of blood sugar affecting your brain. And then Dr. Daniel Amen's work showing in the medical imaging, which I went through a spec image with him back in May with Dr. Ryan Lowry, him and I started some ketogenic spec imaging research together, but learning how symptoms of Alzheimer's and dementia start 30 to 40 years or it symptoms begin after 
Alzheimer's dementia actually presents itself in the brain 30 to 40 years. So like you oh. can have a symptom show up later down the road, but it's actually developing. And so I put Dr. Amy and Dr. Perlner's work together and I was like, man, like this happened in the Dr. Mark Hyman, you know, like I got exposed to all these people talking about blood sugar. And I was like, damn, like, I don't even know what my blood sugar is. I never thought the time to test it. I didn't know that you could, um, it was pretty, probably people should know that as a fundamental aspect of like health class in high school. But, um, I was like, man, like this makes so much sense. So I started adding in all these healthy fats, cutting out grains, like I said, processed foods and um, went through a trial period where I was scared of anything that turned to glucose. So I was like not eating anything. And I lost 20 pounds. My friend said like, dude, you're sick. You got to eat. Uh, that was about 2014. And then just moving through the years, just learning more about this. But then the third diagnosis came along another routine MRI in February, 2017 two new masses had popped up on the other side of my brain. And they mentioned that they thought a biopsy is required, which is, I'm not going to do that. It's pointless. Um, a biopsy is required to tell if it's a genetic disorder that they think I have called neurofibromatosis. And I remember thinking, man, like I remember learning about, you know, epigenetics and ketones have a profound epigenetic effect on the body. And that we're learning more about how they're not just an energy source or actually a signaling molecule in the body. And it's up to 70% of our genes can be expressed one way or another. And I was like, fuck, like, that's so interesting. Like, let me do this. Um, so I actually started testing my blood, bought the ketogenic Bible by my good friend, Dr. Ryan Lowry, saw Dr. Dom speak on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, just devoured anything I could about the ketogenic diet. And although they say they're benign tumors I live with, the epigenetic factor didn't, didn't, didn't mean anything to me about, you know, it being benign. I was like, man, like, this, this has to work. If it doesn't, I have Gamma Knife in my back pocket. I'm now working with the company to represent Gamma Knife in my story. So it's like this mindset piece too is being built like this belief that I'm going to succeed this whole time was coming with me. And so after a year of the ketogenic diet, no meds, no surgery, no treatment whatsoever, just lifestyle change, no progression of any of the tumors. And then this February is two years, same thing. And now I'm involved with ketogenic researchers, research ourselves together, and then sharing this message more. But along this two-year journey, I've become more confident sharing because I had a disbelief that I knew enough to share. But now that I've like, I know I don't know enough. That's why I work with PhDs and researchers that do all that. But I can share my experience, which is, I think, more profound. Um, and why I see or they see so much value collaborating together is because it's not just about research. Because people not necessarily care about research. They care about how you and I are affected. And subjectively as well. So, um, yeah, after a uh, third diagnosis, I'm still two years strong, no meds, no surgery, no treatment, just ketogenic diet and exogenous ketones. Ah, all these doctors that you're mentioning, I'm a huge fan of. Of course, Dr. Hyman is at the pinnacle for me. I, He's the I, one I haven't connected with yet. I just did a, a podcast uh, with Dr. Amen the other week, and Dr. Perlmutter and I actually get to meet this February, but, uh, I'll say, if I can connect you with either one of them, let me know, then I'll- Yeah, you know what's interesting, Josh? Dr. Perlmutter, I'm, I live in Fort Myers. Okay. I think Dr. Perlmutter lives the town over in Naples. Yeah, like, yeah, he's in Naples. But it seems like a divine connection. So we'll have to talk about that For off sure. Because I got the book right here. But, <laughs> and Dr. Amon's a, a fantastic as well. I, I highly recommend that people who are listening to this follow these- brilliant doctors as well. I think they're doing it the right way. So I, I want to highlight here too, that you had this problem and you go out and solve it by learning everything you can mm -hmm. all about these subjects and adjacent subjects. And it's, I can relate to you in that 
I have the problem of just not knowing how to talk to people a little over a year and a half ago now for it was the entirety of my life. And I just didn't, I, I was a socially awkward person. Now I'm a recovering uh, awkward person as, as Vanessa Van Edwards, my hero would say, but I sought out the resources from people who ought to know like Vanessa Van Edwards and Jordan Harbinger. And I listened to all their interviews and I read uh, Jordan Harbinger doesn't have a book, but I read Vanessa's book. I, I just recently got her on the podcast. Jordan's coming on the podcast next month. And so I, I went on this and I talked to all the communication people on this show. And I, so I went on this journey of, of communication and solving this problem, much the way you did. You sought out resources from and, and knowledge from people who ought to know, people that have been there and done that and have been practice, practitioners can't say that word, but I, I really admire that rather than just sitting back and on, laying in bed and crying. I, like I did not just sit in bed and cried. I, I did that. And then I went, yeah, for sure. <laughs> sought out the resources and uh, it's okay to, it's okay to cry and let it out, but then don't just do nothing about it. Do you agree there? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that sums up uh, one of the three of my core principles I live by and share, and that's our reality's manifestation of our choices. And literally when things like that happen, I believe we have two choices, the choice of survivorship or the choice of victim bill, I call it. And so it's like, you can play the victim card like, oh, why me? This is tough. And like find reasons to satisfy your ego, to play small and to keep you right. But would you rather be not necessarily wrong, but would you rather be challenged to go the survivor route to succeed at what you want and to obtain what you want and need in your life. And it's just a different perspective. And it's like, we all have that choice. Like no matter what we're living with or in and what environment we're living in, we have a choice of perspective. We can see the world one way or another. And so for people like us, and I believe everyone has this choice, it's just a matter of believing it and exercising it. We can choose a survivor route, which is to challenge, you know, our beliefs and the status quo and the reality we live in and seek out ways to make it happen. And Gary Vee says it best. He's like, you know, he has two ways he puts it. He's like, you know, I'm like a big believer of like seeing or like um, learning what people are looking for. Cause I believe you're going to find what you look for. But then also if anyone that ever looked like yourself did something you want to do, you have a blueprint and you're able to do it the same way. Like you're able to do a similar thing. And that's, that's, that's it. It's, it's that simple. It's not easy. It's hard, but we make it harder as humans, I believe. So for you to seek out how to have better communication skills, you went one route. And now you're succeeding at it. And for me, like, how can I empower myself to live healthier, happier, more successful? I am still doing the same thing. I think that's the difference is not just, oh man, like just laying in bed. That's easy. But like I said to the survivor route versus victimville, I think they, they take the same amount of energy, but I argue victimville takes more because the further down that road you go, the choice is the same. But the further one choice you take in the route you go with that, you're going to have to work harder. It's going to be longer. It's going to be more sacrifice when you could just put the work in now and get over that comfortable spot. And then you'll be seeing success like the both of us are. Well, I think it's initially a lot easier to take the victimhood route. I think it's almost a natural tendency oh, yeah. and, and, and to want to craft this dramatic narrative around it. I have a natural tendency to craft a dramatic narrative towards victimhood. I got to combat it at every turn. But as you go along, it doesn't ease up. It only gets a little bit harder. And it's like the difference between front-loaded stress and back-loaded stress. You can front-loaded stress, you can do the easy things today and 
you, you can do the hard things today and your life will be easy tomorrow. See, I haven't talked about this in a while. <laughs> Backloaded stress, you can do the easy things today, like be a victim and your life will consequently be hard tomorrow. I think that's the the difference here. If you take the the survivor route, you take the empowered non-victim route, like I'm going to take responsibility for this. I think it's very hard at first, but but it only gets easier, right? Yeah. So are you familiar with CrossFit and like Matt Frazier? Not Matt Frazier, but CrossFit. Yeah. Um, so Matt Frazier is like, he's like the elite of the elite in men's. Like he's like the champion after champion, like year after year. Um, but he has a great quote that he's like, I'm, I'm willing to do what others won't today so I can do what others can't tomorrow. And I think if you can think about that and think about the immediate sacrifice to have more fulfillment later down the road, it's, it's just a no brainer, but it's uncomfortable our subconscious mind, our ego is going to want to protect us from the unknown, the scary that we put on ourselves. And it's going to keep us playing small because that feeds in the addictions of these emotions that we have and all these things. And it's like, keeps us where we're like, we're comfortable. And then we find other people to talk about it with that allow us to stay in that space, enable us. And it's like, once you break that and you audit, like, what do you really want? And are the, are your actions aligning with what you want? Cause if not, you gotta make some changes. And it could be simply like, just go left out of your driveway, then right. It may take more time to go to work that way or wherever, but it changes the wiring of your brain. Well, you mentioned the ego. I think the ego wants us to be the victim and the ego doesn't want it to be their fault. Like, oh, it's, it's, it, 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 cause it would be a little bit of cognitive dissonance. Like, oh, it's not like if it were, if it were my fault, it would be cognitive dissonance for the ego. So it's, it's an interesting point. I never thought about that before. Accountability, man. Like that's one of the biggest things that's changed my life is taking accountability. Like, like my favorite thing to share is our reality is literally a manifestation of our choices. Dr. Joe says your personality creates your personal reality. So literally everything you think, do say, feel and believe is going to create the life you live in. That's a hard pill for people to swallow, especially type A people that work hard, work hard, but like, oh, that must be nice. Like, I hate that. My dad says it all the time, even about the life I live. I'm like, dad, you realize you made me. And because of my choices, I'm living this life that is fucking nice because I work my ass off for it. But you can do that too. Other people can do the same thing. It's just a matter of that belief. And so I think it's really interesting to think about accountability and why are you afraid to take accountability for your life? And it's probably most of the time it's fear and that can be split three ways. I, I believe fear of judgment, fear of failure. And a big one that I went through was fear of success. Cause how are people going to think of me differently if I'm living this life? And now that I'm associating myself with certain people, I'm making more money. I'm having more success. I'm sharing my truth. I'm not doing it in a condescending way. I'm doing it to show people the potential I'm getting a ton of negative feedback from people mm. in my old community of BMX and other things that are like, oh, you've changed and like this, this and that. And it's like, well, yeah, I have changed. I'm glad because I'm experiencing more. I'm helping more people. That's my purpose. So I think the accountability piece is everything. And once people can get over that line of like, I accept my reality as my choice. doesn't matter what you're going through because Gary Vee says all the time, no matter what you're going through, someone else is going through it worse, but they're succeeding. How many stories, like Nick, uh, how do you say his last name? Santiago or something like that. Um, oh, I know. He's not him he he doesn't have ago. limbs, right? Do he, he's missing a few limbs. Yeah, back. no legs, like literally an arm with one finger. And he had the other arm chopped off at 13 by decision to live his life a certain way because he wanted to wrestle. And there was some complication where he had to have it removed. W what is he doing? 
If that dude's not having excuses, why does anyone with every limb and finger and toe have an excuse? You know, like it's a choice. And so I think accountability is everything. Amen. I want to put a bow on the ketogenic lifestyle. Paint me a picture of before and after, like what you were eating on a typical <laughs> day, what was included oh, no. at, at age 20. Okay. And then, yeah. and now what are you eating in a typical day? Of course, I'm well educated on the ketogenic lifestyle, but for the listener, yeah. tell us. So Ryan, Dr. Ryan Lowry and I are going to do a follow-up about this soon. We're going to do some functional MRIs before, during, and after blood work and all these things because we're going to do a day in the life 10 years ago, which for me was wake up, hungover, whatever time of day it was, um, half a box of toasted strudels with all the uh, icing on there, big glass or two of orange juice, possibly a bowl of cereal as well, depending on how hungry I was or how sick I felt from the drink the night before. Uh, lunch was two boxes of Kraft macaroni and cheese and then a foot long sub on the way to ride. Um, two liter soda in between all that throughout the day. Dr. Pepper was my choice. Um, some twig. You're, you're literally feeding these tumors. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then some Twix mixed in, in the middle of that dinner was either sushi or I love sushi. <laughs> yes. I mean, sushi is great um, or something. And then we would go to Sonic late night and get blizzards or whatever they call it. Sunday or some, something like that. Some ice cream with candy and probably wash it down with alcohol while we're partying that night and get whatever shit kind of sleep we get um, and do it again. And I'd ride through it all. And yeah, so that was that today. Great example. It's now 11 a.m. Eastern time. I haven't eaten yet today. Normally, I don't do this, but I'm experimenting. Like, I love experimenting with new things and give it give it a couple of weeks to adapt and see how the body changes. But today, I did. I always try to start with a half teaspoon of, uh, I use uh, Redmond's Real Salt and water just to rehydrate before I do anything. This morning, I did a normal cup of coffee, but I added Pruvit's Keto Cream in there, just like some MCT and some other uh, supplement blends that they have mixed in there for DNA repair and this and that, but to produce endogenous ketones, meaning your body's producing them. I uh, did that and then read a little bit, talked with uh, my buddy who's staying with me for a little bit. Then we went to the gym. So semi-fasted if you, that the fasting police may uh, destroy me for this, but in a fasted <laughs> state minus the MCT powder I had in my coffee or coffee in general, but then did a workout, still haven't eaten anything yet. Probably won't for another two hours. Um, and then sipped on some Prove It Nat ketones, which is their exogenous ketone supplement through my workout with their Mitoplex, which is a... Um, Best way to put it is like upgrade electrolyte. Um, but that was like during my workout, just to sip on and get that exogenous, meaning out outside ketone kind of drip of energy, if you will, while I'm working out. Um, but that's the typical day. And then lunch, I'll, we're going to make a ribeye with some Brussels cooked in some bacon bits and a side salad with some avocado, some primal kitchen dressing. And um, if I have any pickles, oh, yeah, yeah. Primal, primal kitchen is great. And Mark's a great guy. I like the uh, what Sisson Sison. Yeah, last yeah, yeah, yeah. What about I like the honey mustard dressing. You ever had yeah, that one? Honey mustard and ranch are my favorite. And then now they got a um, they got like a ranch barbecue sauce, which depending on what you're making, it's great. They got their primal ketchup and mustard, which is all just no sugar. It's great. Yeah. The the oh my god the avocado oil mayo. Oh, yep. that's my staple. <laughs> I get the garlic. Yeah, I get garlic aioli. I I've tried them all, but that the, the garlic aioli is my favorite. I just I, I put it on um, 
I put on these. I don't know if you've ever seen these Hillary's veggie burgers that uh, that are. No, I'm not sure. This is the only grain that I have. It's millet because it doesn't okay. have lect. It doesn't have that lectin protein in. Uh, millet does not have that. Yeah, and of course, millet burgers in the past are pretty good. Yeah. Uh, what'd you say? What's your plan? Millet burgers. I've had those in the past. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, millet's great because it doesn't have that lectin. The lectin is of course that plant protein that we're, you know, I mean, there's of course conflicting stuff about it, but not supposed to eat it because it makes yeah. you weak like and tired. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, so I have that and I put the avocado oil mayo, like I'll cook one side, I'll flip it over, put the avocado oil mayo on there and then sprinkle and then uh, put some Himalayan pink salt, some cayenne pepper and uh, maybe some rosemary on there. And the, the garlic aioli mayo just kind of captures it. And then I flip it over for just about two seconds. And then I cut it into sixth and put it in my salad. Oh, there you so go. Good. I have that for dinner all the time. Like, awesome. like I'm embarrassed to say how often I have it for dinner. So <laughs> I eat the same thing every day. If it wasn't for my girlfriend, me too. I eat the same thing every day, but you, okay. So you stray a little bit and you'll, you guys will go out to eat. Yeah. We got a, we got a deal. She'll cook and I'll clean. So whatever she wants to make, otherwise I'll eat the same things and they always taste good, but I don't really need that variety. Oh, but yeah, but then dinner we're gonna do tonight. He, he uh, my buddy Brian wants to make a uh, kielbasa bacon Brussels dish he always makes, and so we're just kind of reusing some ingredients we had today. Because then tonight I start a uh, Prove It does this once a month. They call it their their keto reboot, and it's a sixty hour fast that again fasting police probably not gonna like this, but um, it's got two servings of bone broth, two servings of exogenous ketones and one or two servings of their upgrade electrolytes a day. So you finish your last meal, whatever time Sunday, you do the, the uh, bone broth, the ketones and the, um, the electrolytes day one and two, so Monday and Tuesday. And then the first thing you consume Wednesday coming out of your fast is their uh, keto protein that they make. They infuse it with ketones and MCT powder. Um, and they actually isolated leucine to be the primary amino acid in it and fermented all of this. So it's, it's pretty interesting, the technology that works, but that's what we're doing tonight. We're going to have a little kielbasa mixture that he's going to make, and then we're going to start the, uh, the reboot for the next two days. So it's just a good way for your system to get a rest and feed it with some collagen and good stuff like that. And then, um, kind of help the mitochondria. It's, it's focused on mitochondrial health. So it's a nice little yeah. reboot once a month. Will it be on Instagram, Josh? Um, I mean, I just posted something this morning about all the things that are in it, but I'll probably be doing some lives, uh, and some stories about it, but I'm going to be doing it in the prove it Facebook group. I'm their, uh, their guest coach for this month's reboot. So the next technically two and a half, three days, I'll be in their Facebook group, uh, which is a free group to join, you know, but, um, I'll be just answering questions, sharing perspectives with a, with another coach. So, well, people can find you at Josh Perry BMX on all platforms, Instagram included, joshperrybmx.com. Josh is there. And I, I really want people to learn more about this lifestyle and because you're just a great role model for this and Appreciate I it. highly endorse what you're doing. So wh wh is there anywhere else that where people can best learn about you? Um, no, that, that, I mean, the best to learn about me is just any, any social media, just Josh Perry BMX and then Josh Perry BMX.com. I mean, shoot me a DM on Instagram. I'm most active there. And I, I always try to respond at least go through my DMS twice a day and see what I can get to. But, um, as far as ketogenic resources, I mean, there's plenty of books and websites, but, um, the top websites, I say ketogenic.com. That's that charliefoundation.org. 
Um, and then ketonutrition.org, that's Dr. Dom's website. So um, those are going to be three great uh, websites to look at. And then books, uh, Grain Brain, Ketogenic Bible, uh, probably just those two to start with. That'd be plenty. And then uh, Dr. Ryan Lowry on Instagram. He's Ryan P. Lowry. He's founder of ketogenic.com, author of Ketogenic Bible. And then, of course, Dr. Perlmutter's Instagram. Those are some of the people I love learning from and looking up to and collaborating with. But, um, yeah, it's just an interesting lifestyle. And that's the main point. It's a lifestyle. For some, like my buddy Miles, he has no choice. He will have a seizure come on from starch and sugar over if his glucose goes a certain point. So, we went and he's been seizure-free for the last couple of months because of a ketogenic diet and exogenous ketones. So, um, it's a lifestyle. You can use it as a tool. You can implement as a lifestyle. I don't have a problem with seizures. So, you know, I may go have a slice of pizza or have a sushi roll once in a while, but because I've done the metabolic work before, uh, it's all about context. It's just everything's context and perspective driven. So uh, I always just love to give them a shout out just because they're, they're great resources. Dr. Dom, Dr. Perlmutter, Dr. Ryan Lowry. Um, they're just, they've helped me tremendously. And obviously we talked about Dr. Mark Hyman and Eamon and things like that. But um, yeah. Well, I have to acknowledge you for highlighting others throughout and giving them some credit. I, I think it's very admirable. And I have to thank you for, of course, sharing your message of inspiration and taking action and accountability and manifestation and all everything that we talked about today. Very valuable message, Josh. Do you have a book or podcast coming in coming soon? Uh, so both of those. Let's see. So book, uh, I got a, this month I'm home actually all month as of now. Uh, so I'm going to try and wrap up writing the book and then I got to go through the uh, editing process and I'm pretty sure I'm going to go self-published route. Um, but then podcasts, my girlfriend and I are about to release it, I think next week, maybe the week after, but we're calling it the Gray Matters podcast, a little play on brain words and context. Um, but she's an athletic trainer, former Taekwondo Team USA athlete. We met four years ago as my athletic trainer walking me through ACL uh, surgery and rehab. And then a year and a half later, we started dating. Now we share a life together. So we have a lot of interesting perspectives on life in general and fitness, nutrition, mindset, and all, all things like that. So we're about to start sharing that next week or the week after. But then the book just, I got to finish writing it. <laughs> well, by the time this episode airs, your podcast will be out. Say it again for people. The Gray Matters Podcast. Fantastic. Well, Josh, my final question is, if you could teach a course at a university, a course of your creation or otherwise, what would it be? Probably just be focused on that topic of your reality as manifestation of your choices and talk about mindset, nutrition, and moving the body. It's kind of what I do already. So <laughs> it would just be that. Josh Perry, you're the man. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of the Growth Mindset University podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this one today, there are a couple of ways that you can give back. The first is, of course, to leave an honest rating and review in Apple Podcasts or iTunes. You can also take a screenshot of this and share it out on your Instagram story and tag me at j underscore Paris underscore and tag our guests as well and we will absolutely give you some love and then of course if you want to start your own podcast a podcast like this or any other podcast that you envision you can go to jordanparis.com slash pu to get free access to podcast university 
All right. I love you all so very much. And until next time, my friends, make every day count. Live to learn and grow to give.